Good morning. This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. Good morning, everybody. It's 10 o'clock a.m. Central Standard Time, Monday, the 28th of January, 2019, and this is episode 55 of Bitcoin and... And today I want to uh, tell y'all about a book that I got in the mail. It was, you know, it only took like two full weeks, actually like two, and I think it was like two, and I ordered it on the 9th, and it didn't come until, my God, like last Friday, something like that. I mean, that's pretty horrendous mail service right there for you. In either event, what I got in the mail was a, a textbook that I've been wanting for a long, long time called Permaculture, A Designer's Manual, written by Bill Mollison. And I think this thing was published in, let me see, let's see the publishing date, 1988. This thing's been around for a while. And this thing is a freaking tome too, pals. This thing is every bit of 500... See, including the index, it's like 570 pages, 71, 73, 76. Yeah. End to end, 576 pages. I mean, this thing is, this thing's pretty big. Um, And I'm kind of knee deep into chapter two of it right now, Uh, essentially uh, because I'm trying to get this podcast to get back to where we were, where we're talking about Bitcoin and a few other things. Uh, One of the things that I notice about Bitcoin as a, in general, okay, this is like the, the, like, you know, 50,000 foot view is that it's not as much of a technology as it seems to be sort of a, a logical a logical progression of the way of what humans usually build. I mean, it's like you just, if you start looking through history, you start seeing patterns kind of repeat itself and uh, Bitcoin is no exception. It's, it's just not. So uh, for, before we get out of the introduction for today, I want to read this one, this one passage and kind of expound upon it to kind of get into the, uh, get into sort of the, the, the way that I want this podcast to start running. So I'm going to read this paragraph about yields. Okay. Um, and remember, you know, permaculture is a contraction of two words, permanent and agriculture. And the whole idea of permaculture is to build systems that are permanently in place that seek to yield continuously um, instead of annual, you know, for the most part, 
annual crops are not really looked at. Um, perennial crops are looked at. So things like fruit trees and plants that come back year after year. And it's not to say that there's not a place for annuals. You know, what what I mean by annual versus perennial is like if you plant an annual, uh, expect it to die in the winter, um, and then you have to actually plant seeds again the following spring to get that plant back. It doesn't just come back from its roots, unlike a pear tree or an apple tree or um, even Swiss chard. Uh, will come back in the right environment. It acts as a perennial and not an annual. And after about you know three years, the the shard that it put, the Swiss shard that it puts out is you know becomes a little bit more bitter, and you may want to transplant it. But as long as that thing doesn't freeze kill, man, that thing will that thing will be around for and and produce mass for as long as well for as long as until it doesn't freeze kill. <coughs> Okay, so limits to yield. Yield is not a fixed sum in any design system. It is the measure of the comprehension, understanding, and ability of the designers and managers of that design. Bill continues, Defined in this way, yield has no known limits. As we cannot know all the ways to conserve, store, and save energy, nor can we fail to improve any system we build and observe. There is always room for another plant, another cycle, another route, another arrangement, another technique or structure. We can thus continually shrink the area we need to survive. The critical yield strategy is in governing our own appetites. So that's sort of a, a little, you know, little teaser of what's in this what's in this book. And what's interesting about that about that paragraph is that you you can kind of relate that back to Bitcoin. Um, one of the reasons that we have a bunch of altcoins and really garbage coins is because there's this, seems to be the, a whole bunch of people that continuously think that there's no way you can do X on Bitcoin as it stands right now. And I just don't think that that's true. I, I really don't. Everything that I've witnessed suggests that in a, if you look at Bitcoin as an open system, sort of like, I don't know, the face of the planet, there is always some other piece of code. There's always some other arrangement of code. There's always some other way that we can work to get around the limitations presented to us by the system as we come, as we come and address that system. We're addressing Bitcoin for the first time. It's it's a creature. It's not, I don't think it's as much of a construction as it is a force of nature. And as a force of nature, it sort of, it, we sort of walk upon this thing and, and go, whoa, man, that thing's a freaking monster. It's a beast. So how the hell do we work with it? Well, we've already seen like the Lightning Network has already piled its code on top of the regular Bitcoin blockchain and its code to be able to do things that the original code cannot do. And in this case, it, it's sort of a permaculture design system where, okay, we have these parameters to work with. What can we insert between those two parameters beginning and end that will cause us to be able to do something that the original system wasn't de- either wasn't designed to do or didn't have available 
from the outset. And there's a there's a really neat picture. Uh, that's one of the things that I like about this book a lot is the illustrations. Boy, you can get lost in the illustrations like nobody's business. And there's one that shows a cross section of a of a landform that is essentially you know um, draw, land dropping into a valley from three sides. And if you look and see where the water's flowing, it immediately exits, goes right to the, makes a beeline right to the very bottom of the valley and then exits the valley. And that in, in a very real way doesn't really, I mean, it, it's natural. It's a natural system and that, and that's fine. But if we want, you know, how do we, how do we turn that valley into something productive? Well, if you just go to the valley, plow it, you know, plant stuff, um, you're going to have to pump water from, from the uh, exit point of the system, which is down below, use a whole ton of energy to get it back above to where you've got, where you can actually water stuff. And then, um, and then the water is just going to flow back down again. Whereas in the second part of that same, uh, in that same figure, it shows a, uh, a string of ponds that have been placed strategically um, from the at the very top of the rim of the bowl that forms the valley, spotted all the way down, and then at the very bottom of the valley, there's uh, two rather you know rather larger ponds, and all the ponds are linked together, and the way that they're linked together is in such a way as it captures all of the water, and the way that Bill talks about water on land is that you might as well go ahead and look at it as energy. And it basically traps, if we look, if we use Bill's parlance, it traps the energy, slows it down, and, and keeps it in places that we can necessarily draw from and use gravity to our advantage rather than as an enemy. So these are the, these are the types of concepts where you're working with the system as you've addressed this, as you've come right up onto a new system and you're looking at it and you're trying to figure out how do I live here? We're doing the same thing in Bitcoin and lightning network, the liquid side chain, some of the other uh, things that are coming up in, in the Bitcoin uh, ecosphere um, are sort of doing the same thing instead of fighting it and saying, okay, well, Bitcoin doesn't do X. Whereas X, you know, where X could be, it doesn't go fast enough. That's the usual complaint. Well, build something on top of it that does go fast, that you can trust, not as much as you can trust the original blockchain, but then be able to settle uh, settle all those accounts directly into the blockchain and go go about your business without actually having to, you know, do something to the system that that breaks it completely. So one of the ways that I want to look at permaculture in this context or, or Bitcoin in this context is as an ecology, as a natural system and not as much something that was created, even though it was, but it was created by something that lives in the natural world. In in this case, Satoshi Nakamoto. Okay. With, uh, with all that said, (coughs) I'm going to go ahead and get into the morning roundup. Lots of stuff going on this morning. 
uh, not not the least of which was a couple of plunges of the Bitcoin price. Uh, looks like we went from, and I'm looking at Bitstamp, and somewhere around last night or yesterday afternoon, we were looking at 35.50, which we've been holding strong at for a, a while, and then it just kind of dumped all the way down to uh, 33.50. So we had like a you know a 200 point drop, and it's kind of looks like it's I'm not going to say stable because there's nothing about this that is stable right now. But we're looking at somewhere around 3,420-ish kind of thing. Um, but the more interesting stuff, are the, you know, the price is always kind of interesting. But the, the mo- more interesting stuff is uh, coming from my, as usual, my Bitcoin Twitter feed. And I want to talk about uh, the Bitcoin rabbi for a little bit. Uh, Twitter handle is at the Bitcoin rabbi. And he was on um, the Noted podcast. Uh, I, I picked up the Noted podcast yesterday and started listening to uh, him talk with with the guys with the Bitcoin Rabbi talking with the guys over at Noted. And uh, he's got some really interesting takes on Bitcoin as as it compares to the world of uh, Judaism, because he is a Jew, and um, it's it's really interesting but one of the most what one of the most interesting parts was um he was talking about Judaism as the world's first blockchain and he gave a couple of examples of how Judaism has held itself together more or less uh for the last you know 3000 years basically following the same rules without a whole lot of, without really, to tell you the truth, without really any changes. Um, and, you know, it's it's interesting listening to him uh, talk about uh, blockchain in, in terms of, of how Judaism works. And But what I found the most fascinating is when he was talking about how Jew, uh, the, uh, Judaism hates hard forks. And boy, that ain't no lie because Christianity is a direct hard fork, and it, and it is. You know, you got you got Jesus. It was like two thousand years ago, starts a ministry, and then when he dies and is resurrected, the Christian uh, faith is essentially born, and it was born directly as a fork of Judaism. In fact, the Old Testament pretty much is essentially a lot of the Jewish Torah, which they've been follow they had been following for I don't know, a thousand years, maybe longer, before the birth of before even the birth of Jesus. So he's absolutely correct. You know, Christianity is a hard fork. And the fact that Judaism says no to Christianity. It says no to pretty not i mean it says no to some of the fat, you know basic facets like jesus is the messiah they don't know there that's that is not you're not going to get that out of a jewish person right so um it's it's interesting that i'm you know i am not the only one who's who's figured who's figuring out that there are other ways to look at bitcoin and the entire ecosphere um and i think that that's a good thing we need to you know, not need to, but I feel the need to start drawing from uh, completely different parts of the world to not just, you know, not just explain what Bitcoin is to myself or to others, but to figure out 
well, if this is matching these patterns, is is it possible to be able to predict even at the smallest level, um, you know, at, at, or rather the largest granularity, whichever way you want to think about it? Um, is there any way that we can kind of call what might occur in the future and, and be able to use the systems that we already have that have been here for a long, long time to be able to use as a lens to kind of peer into the future of Bitcoin? I don't know. We 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 shall see. Uh, getting up into the stack, we've got some. Um, uh, <laughs> we've got a pretty not a nasty thread, uh, but Brian trolls at Brian underscore T R O L L Z. Um, he co- he hits the ground swinging at Bitfury. Uh, Bitfury is a mining manufacturer and uh, a Bitcoin miner in their own right. Um, I've kind of, I've, you know, I've been following them for a while. I've liked a lot of the things that they've said. They've done a couple of things that I don't appreciate, but hey, it's, you know, their company. They can do what they want. But apparently um, something has occurred in from uh, Bitfury's uh, Lightning Peach wallet that has infuriated Brian. So let's let's go through and see what, what Brian's got problems with. Let me just give you a little bit of background first. Um, last night, uh, Brian tweeted out something else about uh, Bitfury's Peach uh, Lightning uh, wallet and um, said that he would be talking about it later on. And, and so this is it. But it, it's a little it's a little disparate because it's sort of referencing a tweet that no longer exists. So I'm going to do my best to try to get through this uh, by starting in the middle of this thread uh, just because it's just the way it works out. But um, so just for, for that background um, in the, the Bitfury's peach um, wall, lightning wallet, there are two check marks and one is that you agree if you're going to use their, and this is you know, like when you're setting this thing up, if you're going to agree um, to the EULA uh, to be able to use the uh, Bitfury's Peach technology, then you need to check these, you know, a couple of check boxes. And the one that's really bad is the one that you agree to share your data. And that's sort of where this whole thing from uh, from Brian is starting out at. And he says, what's that say under one? What information do we collect? By using the software, we collect and further process the following personal data. <laughs> I use software, you take data. There is nothing optional about that. All right, so on down into the stream or into his thread. What does this say here? It says you are logging one, how many payments I make in one app session, how much the payments I'm making are for, whether it's a one-off payment or streaming continuous payment for how many people I'm paying. So he goes on, how in the F do you reconcile that with this horseshit statement right below that you collect no effing information on payments I make with this application. Now the section here on information sharing specifically with your affiliates, the blockchain Alliance, 
Org and subsidiaries, your chain analysis pr- platform, Crystal, and Google Analytics. I suppose leaving that loophole is just for UX improvement. BS. How about the legal implications of any jurisdiction you operate in passing any law requiring all of this information be handed over? That's not a effing threat to user privacy. That isn't a systematic, systemic threat to all the users of your software. And finally, this gem here, any legal proceedings or even possible leading proce- legal proceedings equals data shared. Selling any aspect of your company, any affiliate connected to you, any subsidiary that has collected this data, they get all the data. So tell me again why I should trust you when literally the terms of service themselves in a vacuum show you are completely full of shit. Why should I trust you when your instant reaction to me making the original of this thread is to delete the tweet it was a reply to? So, yeah, and he's got one more tweet, but it's it's more about the person that's, that deleted a tweet, which kind of broke his uh, original, uh, original tweet storm chain. Uh, yeah, this, you know, there's nothing about this that's good. And so what's, what's going on here is that when you check this box that you agree and you have to check the box, if you don't check the box, you're not using peach. That's, that's just the way that is. This is a standard EULA end user license agreement. So what he's mean, what he means here, especially this one, uh, this is the one that really gets me. Uh, any legal proceeding or even possible legal proceedings e- equals data share, selling any aspect of your company, any affiliate affiliate connected to you, any subsidiary that has collected this data, they all get the data. Um, so if I were to make a credible purchase offer uh, to to buy Bitfury as a whole or in part. Any subsidiary that they may own or be connected to or somehow or another that they have uh, legal recourse to be able to sell, if I make a credible offer and they accept my terms of that credible offer, in that credible offer, I would be you hand over all the files of all the data logging that you have on everybody that's ever used Peach. I'm going to get that data whether or not I complete the sale or not. That's a big deal. That means all anybody has to do is make a credible, a, a credible offer, have a bank say yes, they have the money to make that to make that offer, have you know an agreement that they have you know right of first refusal to you know complete the offer, and boom, they're off to the races and they can get a copy of all the data that Bitfury has. And in my opinion, that is one that is not smart. Not just because it's a it, it it's a credible threat to the user data, uh, but because if Bitfury just allows anybody who makes us that just sneezes in their direction, an offer to be able to look at all of their data. Uh, no, because the only way they're going to be able to look at all their data is if they get a copy of it. And if they got a copy of it, uh, that's it. Cause it's not going to be a situation where somebody makes an offer to buy cause they want the user data, which is usually what happens. And say, okay, and then have Bitfury come back and say, okay, well, you can only look at the data in our offices. No, that's not going to happen. 
they're going to hand over that data in full. And even if it's in part, uh, then whoever's data got handed over, they've been compromised. So yeah, this is about as unhappy as I've ever been with Bitfury. And I really want to uh, thank Brian Trolls for bringing that out into the light. Uh, it's going to be, this going to be pretty stormy um, <laughs> from here until, until either they uh, change their EULA, which I don't think they will, or people just figure out that they don't need to be using uh, any products from Bitfury. And uh, that, that's too bad. Uh, it's too bad that we've got another Bitcoin company that's um, somehow or another just doesn't that they it's like they just don't want to fight and they're just like yeah sure take the data. Um, let's get into this one by Bitcoin Mom. It's another uh, tweet storm, and the context here is uh, Brooke is talking about um, marijuana dispensaries and how dangerous dangerous it has been for Bitcoin dispensaries because they cannot by law in the United States, at least get banking services because marijuana is still classified as a federal crime, the possession, sale, transportation, uh, you name it. All of that is still a federal crime. doesn't matter what the state of Colorado says. doesn't matter what California says. As far as the federal government is concerned, this is all technically a felony. All right. It's a schedule. It's a yeah schedule three drug, which is like the worst of the worst. It's like, I think even heroin may not even be schedule three in either event. These people are unallowed to, are not allowed to get banking services because the bank would then be liable to the federal government. And the federal government is essentially the people that says whether or not Wells Fargo can do banking in the United States. So a lot of them have been going over to cryptocurrencies and uh, quite a few of them have gone over to Bitcoin to uh, take money for uh, uh, getting, your, getting your marijuana. So um, here's a thread that Bitcoin mom at Bitcoin mom has uh, with a question that somebody asked about, well, how do you handle price volatility? And she's got a pretty, uh, a pretty interesting answer. Glad you asked, John. We're working on a loyalty program that shares the burden of price volatility between customers and Bitcoin accepting merchants. Credit to husband at WillB20C for this idea that struck him at happy hour recently. Everyone is free to steal this idea. Two, most Bitcoiners regret spending their Bitcoin at lower prices after watching it rise year over year. For example, the porch furniture we bought from Overstock for four Bitcoin in 2014, and she's got a picture of an outdoor table with four chairs, and at four Bitcoin, that she is looking at like you know losing quite a bit of money when because that entire set could be bought for about a thousand dollars. But there it is. Three, we all learned back then that merchant adoption wasn't the way to expand Bitcoin adoption. Most merchants cashed out their Bitcoin for fiat via payment processors. They didn't want to be exposed to a Bitcoin price drop. This dumped BTC back on the market. Four, merchants need to pay their vendors and employee, etc. in fiat and can't hold Bitcoin for long unless they're diehard die hodlers like we are and are willing to take the risk of Bitcoin going up or down. Five, with at will be 
B20C's Mars program, Merchant Adoption Rebate System, feel free to steal that too. We as a merchant will offer a way for customers to benefit from either a Bitcoin price drop or rally. Six, if the price drops, hey, good for you. You spent your Bitcoin on on something that you wanted before the price dropped. Seven, if the price rises, then we will share your pain of having spent your Bitcoin. Save your receipts from your Bitcoin purchases. When you come back in, we will monitor the current price of Bitcoin and split the difference 50-50. You can use that difference to buy free products from us. This way, we as a merchant benefit by holding the Bitcoin you spent with us and you benefit by staying a loyal customer and getting future discount if Bitcoin price goes up. I'm doing this tweet storm on the fly, so sorry if it's not expressed as well as it could. 10, we will put this program into practice and report back. In the meantime, we really welcome all constructive feedback. And then she uh, she ends it off with a, per, a couple of personal statements. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of interesting. So let's say I go buy, you know, 100 bucks worth of marijuana from from their dispensary and I walk out the door and check I don't know check my portfolio or you know some somehow get a, get a hold of trading view on my phone and look at the price and see that all of a sudden the price rose by let's say 100 bucks just to keep the the numbers round I turn right back around into the store take them the receipt and say look you know I just bought this marijuana and now the price is up you know, a hundred bucks and they'll, what, and it looks to me like what they'll do is they won't give you cash. They'll give you in-store credit. And I'm assuming that you best use that in-store credit right then and there before the price goes back down and they recalculate. Now in, in the grand scheme of things, um, this seems like it's going to be kind of difficult to carry out because of the volatility and the fluctuations in the price. I mean, you know, uh, I don't, it just, it seems fraught with difficulty, but, uh, knowing Bitcoin mom is coming from, is coming from the right place. And I'm, I'm glad to see at least someone is, you know, trying to figure this out. Again, this goes back to the whole permaculture thing where we we've, we're walking into a system that we've never known before. And we're looking at the way the system works and the way that it is working itself out and we're trying to figure out ways around the parts of the system that make us uncomfortable. And that's what permaculture does. That's what Bitcoin seems to be doing. It seems to be matching up pretty damn hardcore. And this goes back to what I was saying about storing energy. Um, Bitcoin Mom, at this point, their dispensary is acting as an energy store as well as a marijuana uh, point of sale or point of purchase place. Um, because if the price does go back up and you can walk back in that store and take some store credit, you'll only get half of, of whatever the price rise was. But still, let's say that you the price rise so much that when you walk in and they gave you your 50-50 split, you end up with another 50 bucks worth of uh, store credit and you spend it right there. Well, all of a sudden, you've got you've got more goods and services from that vendor, and during the time that you were away from that vendor, 
that wealth was actually stored on site. And that's exactly what permaculture does. It's trying to keep all of the energy in the same place for as long as possible before it eventually drains away. All right. So again, there's another way to look at permaculture in the way that, that, uh, uh, Bitcoin is, is operating. Now the final one for morning roundup of the day is a tweet storm by Jack Mallers. And this one is an old one. And this, and so this, I want to, this was from January the 8th of 2019. So it's this year, but still it's like, you know, January the 8th. I completely missed this. I follow Jack Mallers. I have him on my Bitcoin list. And yet the, the amount of changes that goes on in the ecosystem is, is so huge that this one completely escaped me. It's been retweeted 253 times and I missed all of those retweets. Uh, I'm, it's just, you know, the question becomes, how the hell do you curate a fire hose? How, how do you do that? I mean, is there any possible way, is there anything that we have available to us to be able to curate such a thing as just Bitcoin Twitter all by itself, much less the rest of the ecosystem? And I, I don't know, anybody who's got, got, you know, any ideas on how to do, uh, curation on something this big that moves this fast, please let me know because the fact that I missed this is kind of reprehensible. So we'll we'll start here. We've been building a Zap POS application and some hardware that takes an everyday merchant and turns them into a fully fledged self-sovereign Bitcoin and lightning merchant. We will be demoing everything at a bar in Chicago on January the 19th. Two, each bartender will be walking around with Zap point of sale. The bar has uploaded their menu onto the app. All the bartenders have to do is simply tap the items ordered, ask the customer to add a tip, and present the QR code. Three, the POS applications are powered by a hardware device I built for the bar that's running Bitcoin Core Org, Lightning, and BTC Pay Server. This allows the bar to be in full control of their keys with no trusted third party or custodian. Four, thanks to Lightning Macaroons, the bar owner management can give selective permissions to the bartender POS application, such as invoice only permissions, not allowing the app to send any money and not having customers and employees walking around with private keys. Five, To demo this, we will be hosting this event at one of the most popular cocktail lounges in Chicago, taking them from a popular fiat-only business to a full-stacked Bitcoin merchant with no third-party reliance by simply plugging in a box and downloading software. We've watched an ambitious white paper become a network that can support everyday commerce thanks to all the talented folks in this space and the support of this community. So join me in celebrating how far Lightning Network development has come and buy some drinks over Lightning. And that's the end of that one. Um, and they, in, in that tweet, um, he has got a, a video that shows the actual app running on, on a phone. And it's, you know, essentially it, it is. It's the bar's menu and you just tap, you know, you, the, the bartender or the waiter or waitress just taps whatever the uh, customer says that they're ordering, it tallies up, you know, how, however much that's going to be. And then 
when the customer adds a tip, the whole thing is calculated and then a QR code is presented on the screen of the uh, waiter's phone. And the customer uses their phone's lightning wallet to send and or rather uh, pay that invoice. And it's it's instant. It's immediate. And it's like very, very, very low fees, um, if if any fees at all. And at that point, the the bar has possession of the customer's Bitcoin. It's really, really fast and it's really, really easy. And again, it just shows just how people in this ecosystem are building on top of the system that's been presented to us and that we are addressing for, you know, essentially over the last 10 years for the first time. So that's going to do it for your morning roundup. Uh, What's next? Oh yeah. Vitals. We haven't done vitals in a while. So today's probably a good day to do it. So I don't have my nifty um, my nifty uh, spreadsheet up that kind of uh, locates all this information for me because the amount of changes that have gone on has based in in the bitinfocharts.com website uh, the changes between who's first and second and all that kind of stuff has completely blown apart my uh my excel's uh spreadsheet's ability to gather the data so i'm gonna have to do this a little bit on the fly so let's burn through this uh right now the price let me uh, just refresh this just to make sure price of of bitcoin is three thousand four hundred and fifty uh the low looks like it's uh three thousand four twenty nice number nice number indeed and the high is Bitfinex at uh, three thousand five hundred. Uh, see, transactions of the last twenty four hours is about three hundred thousand. Average transactions per hour is twelve thousand two hundred. Fifteen thousand Bitcoin have been sent over the last twenty four hours, uh, with sixty two point five Bitcoin being sent uh, on average every hour. Average transaction value is kind of high five Bitcoin at 17,550 USD median transaction is low 0.023 BTC for a median of $78 and 49 cents USD block time is holding at nine minutes and 32 seconds. Uh, looks like the, uh, fees are kind of seem kind of low. Uh, the, the fees per block is standing at 0.136 Bitcoin per per block. Uh, 20 Bitcoin have been taken in fees uh, on the blocks for the last 24 hours total. The difficulty is, uh, oh, I'm sorry, the hash rate is holding at 42 exahashes per second, which is down about 2% over the last 24 hours. And uh, let's see, where what else was here? Uh, GitHub last commit was today, the the 28th of January, 2019. Wow. So across the board, it looks like everything, well, everything's down. Obviously Ethereum is at 103, uh, Bcash is at 108, Litecoin is at $30, 
BSV, which is the Bitcoin Satoshi's vision chain, God forbid, is at $64. Ethereum Classic uh, got hit on the chin last, you know, this month, or was that last month? Whenever it was that they got that they got hacked and double their their chain got uh, their chain got fifty one percent attacked, and it hasn't recovered above five in a while. It's at three dollars and eighty four cents. Uh, Dogecoin is at zero point zero zero one nine USD, uh, but you know its transactions in the last twenty four hours is thirty thousand, which is well above BSV, well above Bitcoin Cash. Nobody's using those chains. Ethereum Classic is at 41,000. Litecoin is at 21,000. And obviously Ethereum's at 537,000. So there you go. That's your vital statistics for the day. It's Marty's Bent Time for Monday, January the 28th, 2019, issue number 407, Get to the Root. Starts off with a tweet from VJ Boya Party. What happened in the early 70s? Nixon closed the gold window, forever severing the dollar's connection to gold and the attendant fiscal prudence of a hard money standard. Politicians in search of the cause of inequality should start here. Let's get back to hard money, Bitcoin. Dan McArdle replies, and this is important, people. Yes, 2% inflation per year where people close to the new money spigot, bankers, get the new money first. Compounded for decades adds up. But people don't want to find root causes. They want the easy emotional and electoral win of scapegoating people. So let's see what Marty has to say about this. We live in an extremely tumultuous time. This can probably be said about any point in history, but it really feels like things are extra tumultuous in today's world. I can only speak for myself, but it feels as if there's an invisible, lingering, palpable sense of uneasiness around the world as humanity becomes more and more polarized as the gap between the rich and the poor is being ripped open at an alarming pace. I'm also under the impression that most of the world that is engaged in these polarized battles based on identity politics are swinging at branches while being completely unaware of the root problem, the plague of modern mainstream monetary policy. If any of you freaks find yourself falling victim to the left versus right narrative framing here in the States and beyond, I would like to extend some unsolicited advice. Stop falling. I'm sorry. Stop falling for the distraction. I believe most people in this world are on the same page. They simply want to be good people who find a partner and raise a family, hoping to leave the world a better place than they found it upon their departure. The root cause of the inequality and tension in the atmosphere around the world I and many others would argue is the fact that we live in a world built on dishonest money. I strongly believe that if Bitcoin is able to wrest control of global monetary policy from the hands of a corrupt crony elite, we'll be able to get back to the fair world the people entrenched in identity politics believe they're fighting for. I'll take it even further. The masses are being manipulated on purpose by the entrenched elite in an attempt to cause confusion and direct attention away from the root of the problem. 
unfettered money printing by an unelected group of crony capitalists which depend on collective ignorance to keep the charade alive. Stop playing into the charade. Let's work together and get to the root of the problem. Final thought, really wish I could do a better job of keeping white shoes clean. Love white shoes. Terrible at keeping them clean. Yeah, don't buy white shoes. Don't do it. First of all, man, that's got to be like a throwback to the 70s if we're talking dress shoes. If you, Marty, if you're wearing white shoes with a brass buckle on it, I don't know what to do for you, man. I don't. That's a fashion faux pas from long ago. And I don't think white shoes with brass or metal buckles on, on the top are ever going to come back. So just stop. Now, if it's tennis shoes, wear your dirt with honor, pal. It means you're actually out there doing stuff, maybe jogging or working out or whatever. But, you know, don't worry about the white shoes. As far as the rest of this stuff is concerned, you damn skippy. This is dishonest money. You print money, that's fine. Only if everybody gets that money at the same time. But that's not what happens. The Fed prints money or the European Central Bank prints money or the Bank of Japan prints money or whoever your central bank of choice might be. When they print money, the first people that get them are the banks down the line. So they get all of the opportunities that that new money brings before it hits the open market. Because once that hits the open market, it turns into inflation. And if you've got money in the bank, then that new money just inflated away your money that you earned and then saved. There's no two ways about it. There is no argument. This is the way it works. And this is the way it's been working for a long time. And it's been causing problems for a long, long, long time. This goes all the way back to the merchants of Venice. You're talking about 1400s, all right? There's there's no excuse to continue to believe that it's okay to print money and that it doesn't cause inflation. It's not okay to print money. It does cause inflation. And we're the suckers that are left holding the bag. And if you just continue to allow yourself to be a bag holder and defend those people who create those bags and then force us to hold them, then you're just as bad as they are. I'm sorry, but that's just the truth. Anyway, so that's going to do it for Marty's Bent, and we will see Marty's Bent whenever he releases another Marty's Bent. Daily Trainwrecked is brought to you by Kevin Pham uh, at underscore Kevin underscore Pham P-H-A-M Anybody who's been following this dude for a while knew he started out as a hardcore uh, hardcore Bitcoiner and has completely reversed done a complete 180 and is now uh, 100% in Bitcoin SV's pocket Uh, It's a shame Uh, I really liked Kevin for a long time and had a, a lot of respect for him. Uh, but, uh, his, his, his tweets and, and the way he's been dealing with people lately in, in actually, in my opinion, it doesn't even sound like the old Kevin. 
And I've made that argument before. Um, I can't prove it, but it looks to me like it. this isn't Kevin Pham talking. But even if that were the case, that means that Kevin sold his uh, Twitter account, which even if it's not him talking, the fact that he would sell his Twitter handle uh, to somebody who's going to start raw-rawing for uh, Bitcoin SV, um, just, you know, even then there's there's no coming back from that one. So let's get into his train wreck that he put out on the 25th of January. Bitcoiners only care about Venezuela because they think its collapse will make them rich. Get your crocodile tears the F out of here. Oh, Kevin, Kevin, Kevin. Okay, I'm going to go into a little bit about uh, Venezuela here. And yeah, I mean, if I'll catch feedback from this one. But I, along with a whole bunch of other people, have been watching what's going on in Venezuela closely for the last few years. Not days, not weeks, not months, years. Three or, you know, actually, yeah, for me, it's been three years. And we've all talked together, you know, in, in, in the ecosphere, in, you know, in any ways that we can communicate with other Bitcoiners in the ecosphere. Um, most of us have been aware just how bad it's been. And for me, the issue with Venezuela started with hearing about it from uh, Andreas Antonopoulos in one of his uh, talks when he's spe- – it was uh, especially the one that he was talking about um, how Venezuelans are jumping you know, jump the border or, or uh, essentially ordering S9s, having them smuggled uh, you know, to a point across the Venezuelan border. They jump the line, go get the S9 miners – bring them back over. Of course, this was like, like I said, this was like three, you know, coming up on four years ago, (coughs) brought them back across into Venezuela, hooked them up to the free power grid because they're socialists and apparently they get free power or whatever. And we're mining uh, Bitcoin and other various cryptocurrencies to be able to put food on their table. And the, the savvy Venezuelans that did that were able to survive. So, um, oh, well, and then they were selling, they were actually selling their, their Bitcoin and then ordering food off of Amazon's uh, pan, prime pantry or whatever it is, having that food dropped on the other side of the border, again, jumping the borderline, going and getting the food and hot, you know, backpacking it back into their, to their home so that they could have food because the stores have been basically, you know, their uh, shelves have been empty for, you know, Tens of months at this point. It's just it it there's no medicine, there's no toilet paper, there's no soap, there's no food, there's no water. It just it goes it, it, it just goes on and on. We've known this for a long, long, long time. And Kevin's no exception. Um if Kevin says that he didn't know about what was going on in Venezuela before uh before last week, and we'll talk about why I say that, then he's lying to you. Um, but he's never really made a whole lot of tweets about Venezuela that I can, that I can see. I'm sure he has, but it's certainly wasn't first and foremost upon his radar screen. Then all of a sudden last week, whenever it was that Trump 
decided to say that he supported the uh, or Pence, and then Trump said that the United States will only support uh, Guiardo. I can't pronounce his last name uh, as the interim president for Venezuela, and then you got. Great Britain and Canada and a whole bunch of the other Western uh, states saying that they're not going to recognize Maduro as president of Venezuela any longer. Now, all of a sudden, the media and everybody is now all of a sudden concerned about Venezuela. Where the hell were you two and a half, three and a half years ago? Why weren't you talking about this crap when the guy from the National Guard, Oscar, I believe it was his name, got into a helicopter and shot up a couple of federal buildings and then was on the lamb and then was killed by the police when they finally caught him. Where were you when thousands, tens of thousands of Venezuelans were chasing down Maduro in the street because that dipshit decided it'd be a real good idea to go face the masses of a whole bunch of people he's been starving for the last couple of years. And they were beating pots and pans, chasing them down the damn street. Where were you? Where were all of you guys? Now Venezuela's, oh, now we notice that there's a problem in Venezuela only because a whole bunch of states decided to say, you know, to take a side. Well, screw all of you guys, because this crap has been going on in Venezuela for years. All right. For for anybody to suggest that the reason Venezuela is having the, the riots and the protests that it's having is because Trump opened his mouth, then you don't understand what's been going on in Venezuela for three years. And the fact that you decide just now to open your mouths makes you look like idiots. I'm sorry, Kevin. I had a lot of respect for you, but it's all gone. I could almost stomach the fact that you went over to Bitcoin SV and and whatever in all in, in the way that you started attacking Bitcoin maximalists, I could almost stomach that. But this one, now that you're on the bandwagon with the rest of the what appears to be mainstream media's discovery of the problems in Venezuela, you get out of here with your crocodile tears because there's just no place for you here anymore. So that's your daily train wreck for the day. Okay, guys, that's going to do it for today. Um, hope you got something out of it. Um, I'm really, really excited about this permaculture designer's manual sitting on my desk. I'm going to do my level best to start including that every single podcast. I'm going to try to find something in this manual that has something to do with uh, with Bitcoin or the, ecos- the ecosystem that we find ourselves in because this thing is a tome of really good high quality information that has been around since the late eighties. All right. So I guarantee you there is a whole bunch of stuff in this book that is going to be able to relate directly to Bitcoin. So I may be on a permaculture bent for quite a while, but you know, whatever, it's still really, really interesting stuff. And, um, if you can figure out ways in your life, in your gardening, in your household affairs, whatever, what have you, to start integrating some of this uh, stuff for resiliency that comes out of permaculture is probably, you know, it's a good idea. Only if it doesn't, you know, cause you pain. If it causes you pain, you probably shouldn't be doing anything. But uh, in either event, um, well, okay, 
you can suffer a little bit of pain. But there's really good information in here. Um, I've been following permaculture for a very long time, and it is just the ways that we handle um, agriculture in the West um, and many part and now many parts in the East. Um, wow, it it doesn't need to be that way. It really doesn't. It doesn't mean that it'd be easy to switch over either, but it doesn't actually have to be the way that we see it. So I um, hope to be able to bring you a whole bunch more of that stuff. Um, and until then, I guess I'll see you guys on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.